It's time for some bacon. <laughs> and if you have no idea what I'm talking about, we are going to learn about the host of the powerful bacon podcast, a podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who are passionate about bringing home the bacon. Um, Brian Basilico is an award-winning, internationally recognized author and speaker and a self-professed geek. He's the founder and president of B2B Interactive Marketing, award-winning marketing consultant and production company in Aurora, Illinois. And like I mentioned, he's also the host of the exceptionally fun, powerful, and insightful Bacon Podcast. And, you know, maybe the name doesn't necessarily imply it, but it is an exceptionally powerful podcast for entrepreneurs looking to create an impact and enjoy exponential success in their journeys, um, in your journey, rather. I had a lot of fun with this uh, interview. I had a lot of fun uh, connecting with Brian, learning about his journey. And uh, I realized that he's a really, really down-to-earth and cool guy to uh, to speak to. I would love to have a coffee with him and talk about business and mindset any day of the week. And I think this is going to be exceptionally valuable for you if you're looking to create a huge impact in the world, become your best self, and uh, just enjoy more of what life has to offer. Let's uh, get down to it. Let's uh, start the uh, actual interview. And before we do, absolutely consider downloading the Power-Become-Happy-and-Wealthy mobile app on your mobile device. You can get it on Google Play or the App Store, and I guarantee that you will not regret using this mobile app. It is exceptionally powerful for you. It will help you maximize sales, maximize your impact, and unlock your inner power, your inner leader in such a way that allows you to build super powerful teams that help you make your vision, your big vision for your business real. Let's begin. We're here with uh, Brian. Brian, oh my God. I'm sorry. No, okay. I'm, I'm just a bit... <laughs> um, yeah, it's like the Italian for basil, right? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I think this is actually going to make the podcast the uh, the episode the start. This is going to be actually the start. Okay. <laughs> there. You... <laughs> Works for me. <laughs> awesome, uh, Brian. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time uh, to do this. Um, you know what? Actually went and uh listened to your first ever episode of the bacon podcast mm -hmm. right uh that's seven years ago right that's a long time of podcasting yep. 730 plus episodes to this Oof, day la la. that's yeah that's a lot of experience in your belt and here's my first question um who was brian back then and who is brian now uh boy that's a that's a really good question brian back then was a new author uh first book came out and was just trying to get the word out and build some presence on the internet and brian now is somebody who works with larger businesses understands podcasting and marketing much better and is somebody who you know has synthesized into you know what today's marketing is all about what would be your number one insight for brian back then um boy that's you know the number one insight for back then was just be patient 
you know, it, it's you're never going to be able to just all of a sudden, you know, jump on the scene and take over the world. And, you know, one of the first things uh, when I started the podcast, I, my first book is called It's Not About You, It's About Bacon, mm. Relationship Marketing in a Social Media World. And Bacon's an acronym for Building Authentic Connections Online Networking. And, you know, back then when I first started the podcast, I didn't think that people would understand the bacon brand. So I called it my marketing magnet that lasted about three right. months. Nobody listened to it. And as soon as I switched it over to the bacon podcast, all of a sudden, you know, the listenership went way up. So, you know, you have to be willing to adapt and change as time goes on. Well, for one, bacon has a lot more personality to it. And, uh, you know, when I tell my, my girlfriend, she's a big bacon fan. I said, look, I might be interviewing this guy, Brian Basilico. He's got the bacon podcast. You're like, oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get two different you get two different uh, responses. You either get, you know, I had one person in the course of the seven years who said, I cannot do your podcast. And I said, you do realize bacon is an acronym and it's a brand that has nothing to do with meat. And she goes, I can't touch anything that has anything to do with meat. I'm like, OK, whatever. You know, and then you get the other people where bacon is everything, you know, bacon is basically the duct tape of food. You can wrap it on anything and make it taste good. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me you tried basil with bacon. I have. I have. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Basil is uh, Basilico is Italian for basil. So you can call me herb if you want. I will respond to that. <laughs> awesome. Um, I haven't tried that yet, but yeah, it's who good. Knows? Yeah, there's all kinds. Chocolate-covered bacon, if you've never had it, definitely try it. Um, there's uh, candied bacon. There is, you know, I, there's a big difference between fake bacon and real bacon. There's turkey bacon. There's, mm -hmm. you know, there's thick-cut bacon. There's applewood bacon. I mean, there are so many different kinds of bacon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I um, I spent a few years in Italy. I, I lived there for um two years and i was wondering have you had a chance to visit i have not and that's mm. one of my dreams to uh i mean you know the plan was to try to get over there to give a speech at one point you know i'm still trying to build um you know my speaking business back up after the pandemic i i just booked my first speech since the pandemic and it's up in minneapolis so mm -hmm. You know, I'm I'm hoping to be able to get there. And my family's from Abruzzi, which is on the the west side or the east side, uh, up the coast. So I'm hoping to get there and obviously make it to Rome and Venice and all those fun places. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely worth uh, it's definitely worth a visit. Um, you know, you mentioned in one of your episodes that you mentioned a bit about your background that you had a recording studio, yep. you were a video producer, you know develops these a lot that has to do with tech what drew you to marketing and entrepreneurship well i think it was kind of an evolution when i was a kid i was a musician i started playing guitar at 10 and so i built a recording studio you know it actually started when i had a pa system for a band the band broke up i had this big pa system with you know a 24 channel mixing board and it's like what am i going to do with this thing so I went out and bought an audio recorder and it evolved from there. And then what I learned back then was, you know, in order to have a business, you had to market it, right? You mm -hmm. can't just, you know, have a business and nobody knows about it. Yeah. So back then, I always tell people that back when I first built the studio in my dad's basement, and this dates back to like 1979, um, I was doing content marketing back then. 
And, you know, people ask, well, how did you do content marketing in 1979? There is no internet. There's no email. There's no nothing. So what I did is I had an Atari 400 computer mm -hmm. and I would type up little stories about how to record, how to do microphone technique, all those kind of fun things, and just educate my audience about what it was like to be in the recording studio, how to do it faster, how to get better results. And then I'd take those pieces, I'd print it out on a dot matrix printer, I would cut it up you know, into little strips of paper and lay it out on 11 by 17 piece, mm -hmm. send it out to a printer and mail it to my clients. And so that was the foundation of what I've learned about creating messaging and how important messaging and content is to marketing. And so it doesn't matter whether you're using audio, video, print, blogs, graphics. I mean, it's all based on, um, there are two two things that I, I talk about. One is called tribe and the other one is called race. And I'll get into those if you want to. But the bottom line is, is content marketing is really kind of the core that you need to do in order to make any business work. But is that something that kind of came to you naturally? Like, did you have that insight of um, let me educate my clients or let me share these stories that are that I know are valuable and useful? Or was that was that something that you studied? No, it was, um, it was innate. I, I mm -hmm. really believe it. Well, one of the things is my father was a, um, he, he started out in the bell system, actually World War, War II. He was over in Burma stringing wires, came back to New York, was hanging, you know, telephone wires in the forties. And then he learned how to educate himself and ended up becoming an educator himself. So he was actually a teacher mm -hmm. for the bell system. So I think that, you know, through his, it basically was kind of a, you know, uh, more of a metamorphosis of him and learning how to communicate, I think was just innate in me at that point. I think it was just because that's who he was. It kind mm -hmm. of rubbed off on me. That is so cool. And, you know, I was, I was sharing stories without necessarily realizing I was doing so with I had a period in my life when I was going live on Facebook every single day, right? Sure. Making live videos in Romanian. And I had people following me that at the time literally made no sense to me. Why are they following me? Like because I saw them as being a lot more successful than I was. Mm -hmm. I was teaching martial arts. Actually, before being a coach, I created and taught a personal development through martial arts program. Mm -hmm. um, for six years, and that's what I was doing. So I didn't really understand why they would follow me, seeing that you know I was looking up at, at them. Um, but recently, I understood why. I I mm -hmm. dove deeper into this idea of story selling, right? Right. Mm -hmm. And understood that they weren't necessarily following me because of my gorgeous face, right? <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've seen worse, of... but you know, I'm I'm not gonna go there, you know, have a star <laughs> bromance, but go on. This <laughs> guys, it's just an opinion, it's just everything, right? <laughs> um they were following me to to hear a story, right? Mm -hmm. To listen to a story. And I I was telling this, you know, sharing this idea for years. People rally behind this story first. And then behind the person sharing the story, mm -hmm. but I really got, got a deeper grasp of that recently. So it's very interesting to me that you you kind of felt that from a very you know from the beginning of your journey, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah, I didn't really realize until I wrote the first book what the culmination of everything was. 
you know, I mean, I went through an evolution of, you know, one of the things about staying in business as long as I have and, you know, staying relevant as long as I have it has been evolving and, and basically reinvention throughout the entire time. I mean, when I first started this company, I just got fired from working at Arthur Anderson, which was my second major corporate stint, and I couldn't play in that uh, sandbox. I just, mm -hmm. my wife says that all the time. She says, you cannot play in the corporate sandbox. She is 100% yep. right. Yep. Um, when I left, I started doing business card CDs. I was creating videos and putting them on CDs in the size of business cards. Mm. And I, I had a burner here and I was doing that for customers to help them sell their stuff because I knew video, I knew multimedia programming. I knew, you know, I, I'd learned and evolved over the time. And, you know, what one day my business card CD burner just died. Yeah. And I said, okay, you know, I got to go buy another one. I started researching it. And I, the first one I paid like $6,000 for, I started researching. It was about $3,000. And then I went into my QuickBooks and looked at it and said, okay, how much did I make on burning business card CDs? And the year at, before it broke was 300 bucks. And it was like, really? <laughs> time to outsource this, you know, time to, and then, you know, it slowly, the business evolved into, you know, websites, content marketing and all, it just kept evolving into things. And, yeah. and that's the key. I think that's really important is telling that story about how you evolved to help other people evolve. I think that's one thing about being a coach. That's really important. Yeah. Uh, this is something that I, that I struggle with. Um, a lot when I started, like, for me personally, it was insanely difficult, this career, mm -hmm. sure. especially when I when I had to acknowledge that I wasn't really a martial arts teacher. I was hiding behind the martial arts because what I really wanted to do was coach people. Sure. Um, but what I had ingrained in me was this idea that you have to be kind of more successful than the people that you coach. Mm -mm. Right. But that is definitely not the case. That is not necessarily my gift, right? Um, I cannot teach somebody who's a lot more successful anything about business or, you know, money or stuff like that. But what I can show them is a different way of thinking. I can show them their blind spots mm -hmm. and get back in touch with their power. And that was a very difficult lesson to for me to, to accept, to understand. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it does help to kind of share the stories that you know my stories like my struggles um but i think also asking like the uncomfortable the uncomfortable questions also is, sure. is exceptionally valuable um but in that sense i mean you have a lot of experience what was what was your biggest challenge since you started as an entrepreneur um you know, the biggest challenge is always staying relevant. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's always in it as you evolve, you know, people think of you as something different, you know, so they think of you as however they met you, that's who they know you as. So, you know, it's hard to convert somebody from thinking you're a martial arts coach to a business coach. And um, I think one of the things that I've learned over the course of those years that has really helped kind of amplify things, number one, is you have to invest in yourself. Hmm. You have to spend time on yourself. You have to be willing. You have to have a hunger to keep learning. Um, I just mentioned um, on Facebook that, you know, I we got a dog during the pandemic. I walked the dog three times 
a day and it's like okay what am i going to do with that time right you know i'm just going to sit here and watch the dog snip so what i did is i found this thing called blinkist i don't know if you're familiar with it or not it's it sounds familiar but i'm not exactly sure what it, it is basically what it is it's ebooks like i'm a big audiobook guy i love mm -hmm. audiobooks so i listen to them in my airpods um when they work uh when i'm walking the dog <laughs> and so you know listen to uh, ebooks and and you know our online um audiobooks and and i'd listen to some podcasts and i did that you know listen to podcasts for a while listen to audiobooks for a while and i realized that audiobooks were taking me like you know um, a month to get through, you know, because I'm, I'm going out in 15 minutes spurt. So um, what Blinkist does is basically gives you cliff notes of audiobooks. So you can listen to a full audiobook. Basically, it's a summary of the audiobook in 15 minutes. And that's yeah. about how long I walk the dog twice 15 minutes a day and once 30 minutes at the, in the middle of the day. And what I found out is I was listening to about three to four audiobooks a day. And and the cool thing about Blinkist is it has a AI component that takes it through a certain consciousness. So say you mm -hmm. start in mindset mm -hmm. and then it goes into how does the brain work? And then it mm -hmm. goes into uh, physiology and then it goes into philosophy. I mean, it just kind of leads you down a path of books that A, you would never listen to and B, that you would never connect. Yep. And so, you know, investing in that was huge because now, like I say, I'm listening to over a hundred books a month. Um, you know, which is a, a, just an amazing amount of learning and perspective. And then the other thing that I think is really important, and it goes to what you were saying, is I, I have this philosophy. I have these things called Baconisms, and I've gotten them from my books and my presentations. You know, they, they look a little different now. They used to be literally Baconisms. Now they're what I call is um, bridging the gap. And mm -hmm. one of them is every doctor needs a doctor, every mentor needs a mentor, every coach needs a coach. And so the other thing I've invested in is coaching over the course of those years. After I wrote the first book, I hired a book and speaking coach. And that person said, okay, you're getting on a plane, you're going to Atlanta and you're speaking, you're gonna to go to this conference. Now I wasn't set to speak there. I went to the conference to meet people. After going back two more times, I was a featured speaker. Yep. And, you know, so I learned how to do that, you know, and then I hired another coach that helped me with marketing and I hired another coach that helped me with systems. And then the current coach that I have is a mindset coach. Yep. And she laid out for me some very, you know, specific things. The first thing that she did was give me a worksheet that said, okay, I want you to put your values down. Here are a hundred values. I want you to pick the top 30. And then you pick the top 30 values and then she says, okay, now knock them down to 20. What are the 20 mm -hmm. most important ones? And then knock them down to 10. Now put them in order. And the funny thing is when I first started with her, it was amazingly hard. And I went back and retook it two years after working with her and it was a hell of a lot easier and all of the um, priorities had changed because there were certain things in my mindset that I couldn't see. You know, it's like anything else. We can't see the forest for the trees. And, you know, we have uh, cognitive biases in our own heads, in our own consciousness that block us from being able to see what other people can see. Yes. And so that's really uber important, I think. So those are some of the lessons I've learned over that time. Um, and, you know, in terms of staying um, relevant and reinventing yourself, mm -hmm. uh, you, you mentioned something interesting. After a period of time, you noticed that your values had changed. Yes. Absolutely. Right. So we're constantly changing. We're constantly evolving. Um, and to your point of it's difficult to convince somebody that you're now a mindset coach instead of a martial arts coach. Mm -hmm. um, 
how did you see you changing over the years and you evolving, you know, as an entrepreneur, as a person, how did that impact your audience and their expectations? Well, I, I think the key thing is I evolved from being a, you know, like most entrepreneurs, everybody thinks, and, and you hear this from a lot of people is, you know, get rich quick on the internet. You know, mm -hmm. you can do this. All you got to do is create a podcast, create a blog, do that kind of stuff. And I went from being somebody who said, okay, if they're breathing and have a wallet, they're a potential customer. <laughs> you know, when somebody says, who's your client? And somebody says, everybody, they don't understand business to yeah. a, a very, very, very specific avatar. And I've also learned um, to, you know, number one, systematize what I do and then convert that systemization into the way that I work with my clients and then mm -hmm. get to that very specific avatar. So my avatar is a small business owner with a 10 to $100 million business that has a sales team that doesn't have a marketing department. That is the exact avatar. Mm -hmm. and so mm -hmm. I can communicate things that still will, you know, reach the wider audience, but the goal is to make that wider audience more relevant to get me to the target. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I was like, what I was really curious to learn more of, because I was listening to these uh, big YouTubers talk about their experience and how they've changed over the years. Mm -hmm. And they noticed this expectation of their audience to see the version from 2015, let's say when they first got in, you know, found out about them and became mm -hmm. fans. And they're like, Oh, you know what, you've changed, you know, I want the old uh, Brian, I'm not, you know, really happy with right where the podcast is going or something like that. How did you deal with that? Or did you notice your That's audience easy. expecting you to be the same? That's easy. Mm -hmm. You changed. They didn't. Yes. Mm -hmm. That's all it is. You know, mm -hmm. the thing is, is that you have to be clear about who you are, what you're doing now. And mm -hmm. if you know, and again, if they're not, if they want the old Brian, they're still in that old space. They haven't evolved. And so, you know, they're not your core audience. And do you think it's a bit of a, I wouldn't necessarily say failure, but let's say um, on the creator side, kind of neglecting to share the different stages of their lives and how they're evolving and how they're changing? I think it's fair to say, you mm -hmm. know, uh, but, but again, you know, that evolution is going to be there. Every one of us changes, you know, yeah. in one way, shape or form. And I, you know, the other thing I think that's really important, I talk about this with my clients is vanity metrics. Okay. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at vanity metrics of how many followers we have, how many people pay attention to us, how many people engage with us. And, and mm -hmm. I have a completely different philosophy, which I've, I've, I've really kind of pared down in the last couple of years. And my last book, it's my fifth book. It's not my final book. It's just the most recent one is called toilet paper math. And it's really about um basically people look at things and they measure it wrong right so and the example of toilet paper math and i don't know about romania but here in you know illinois we have you know walmarts and targets and you know all kinds of different places that have these aisles when i grew up as a kid you got one thing you got one roll of toilet paper and it was wrapped in paper and it would sit there and they'd stack them up right and then it went to a four pack and now it's like a hundred pack yeah. And on the outside of it, it says, you know, eight equals 64 and nine equals 120. And that's toilet paper math. What they don't tell you is that 
The size of toilet paper went from a four and a half inch square to 3.7 inches to 4.1 inches. So they're giving you less product. They're putting more on a roll and they're actually charging you more per roll than they ever did. Hmm, and so they're making more money, but they're making you feel like you're getting more because they're putting more in a package saying that eight equals 64. The same thing goes with my the kind of clients that I work with. Um, one of the clients came to me and said, OK, we're dropping one hundred thousand dollars a year. What are we getting for that money? Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't know. Let me look. So they were doing advertising. The company they're working with was doing Google ads and they were doing Facebook ads and they were doing all this other stuff. And I said, OK, let's let's do an experiment. Let's just turn it off mm -hmm. and see what happens. All mm -hmm. right. And, and what happened was is their traffic dropped. Right. And so the client came back to me and said, you know, uh, we went from 5000 hits a month to 1500 hits a month. What the hell did you do? And I said, Okay, well, let me ask you a key question. Have your sales gone up? And they said, yes. I said, so what's the problem? Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the key thing is they were so focused, they were taught to listen to that vanity metric of 5,000 hits, 5,000 hits. Right. And, you know, one of the things I say in toilet paper math is I can get you a million visitors to your website today for $500. It's mm -hmm. really super easy, right? The only problem is you're going to have to change the language to Russian or Farsi and nobody will buy from you. Mm -hmm. That's what you get yeah. for a million, you know, 500 bucks with a million visitors. So where, where were the sales coming from in that case, seeing that the traffic was gone? Well, where the sales were coming from was basically focusing their salespeople more on building relationships with their current and past customers. And that's what we were doing is we were focusing more on the right stuff rather than try. One of the things that a lot of companies do and a lot of people do and this is something I learned during the pandemic. Um, it was a really brilliant big data guy I talked to um, called Frank Agan. And Frank had this concept. I asked him, I said, what in the pandemic did large companies notice or what did they see from the data? And he said to me, he said, I could tell you specifically the most successful companies that made it through the pandemic and actually came out the other end better was number one, they paid 45% of their time to current customers, 25% of their time to past customers, and 30% to prospects. And he mm. says, you have to understand the difference between a prospect and a lead, right? A yeah. lead is a cold call. A prospect is somebody who's engaged with you in a no like, and trust circle. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we did, is we took away the focus from trying to generate leads to focusing more of their attention on their current customers trying to search out their past customers who moved to maybe different businesses who gave you an easier in to more business and then basically nurturing those prospects. And that's essentially how that business changed without the advertising. That is such a human way of doing business. Mm -hmm. It's called relationship marketing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And it's, it's obviously a lot more cost effective. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see the value of that. I mean, um, if they're paying 100k a year, and they're learning that and they're really integrating that into their business culture, right? The ripple effects are tremendous. Well, the beauty of it, too, is that we took, you know, out of that $100,000, they had $60,000 to spend on the other parts that were working. Mm hmm. And so now they had that money, you know, to be able to grow into different things. I mean, I could spend hours talking about all the intricacies, but the foundation of what we did is, is there are two things that I talk about. It's tribe and race. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, tribe stands for trusted, receptive, interesting, bountiful experts. Those are the people in your tribe. Every one of us has at least 150 people that we are connected to. And those people can be a client, a service provider, an advisor, family, or friend, right? right? Those people are the ones that you can communicate with on a regular basis. Those are the people that have gone through the no like trust tunnel or tunnel with you, you know, and they, they've gone from no to like to trust. These are people that are trusted. Um, those 150 people will help you amplify your message and, and point other people in the direction of you if you stay in touch with them, if you communicate with them. Mm -hmm. So that's what the tribe is all about. And that's what relationship marketing is. Race stands for basically there are four key things and there's a different uh, segment for marketing and yes. there's a different segment for sales race for marketing and I have a, I'm looking over at my other monitor because I have to I don't have these things memorized as well as I should. That's cool. But marketing is um, relevance, authority, consistency and engagement. When you're marketing, you have to have relevance to that person. Do what you, you know, is your relationship relevant? Do you provide something that they need? Do they need something that you provide? All of those things. Mm -hmm. um, authority, do you have a, do they have a reason to trust that you know what you're talking about? Uh, consistency, you have to be very, very consistent with what you do. And one of the things that Bigger Company was doing is they had a mailing list of 10,000 people that they would mail to once a month with one of those email newsletters that you see that has 15 stories in it, you know, the employee of the month and this and this product and, you know, this thing and, and you know, nobody cares. They're basically yeah. throwing a wide net out once a month and nobody's paying attention to it. Nobody opened it. You know, they went from having a, a 0.1, 0 0.4% uh, open rate to when we drilled that down and only got people that were in that tribe to a 5% open rate and a about a 20% click through mm. because people knew linked and trusted them. So their yep. email list was much more relevant and consistency is uber important. We send out now one to two emails a week as opposed to one a month. Mm -hmm. So they're getting, you know, four to eight emails a month and, and it's very targeted. It is one thing. Here's what you need to know. And that's it. Yep. And even better is we're starting to drill down into that list, adding salespeople. And now we can send targeted messages to each person from an individual because we've started to build that down. Nice. The last piece is engagement. Mm -hmm. And that is you have to measure how people are engaging with you, right? Yeah. Are they opening your emails? If they're not opening your emails, we send them an you know, individualized message saying, hey, it's Brian. You know, I haven't heard from you for a while. I just wanted to say hi. Right goes back to that tribe. It's building that trust and that relevancy. So the four things in race is relevance, authority, consistency, and engagement. When you move that over to the sales side, what that does when you market from that perspective, when you move it to the sales side, it puts it in, it takes relevance and turns it into a relationship. It takes authority and turns it into authenticity. Mm -hmm. It takes consistency and turns it into commitment. Mm -hmm. And finally it takes engagement and turns it into execution. So the sales team has to build a relationship, prove their authenticity, have a commitment to that client's success and execute what they promise. So the goal of relationship marketing is to basically create that bridge of communication between the sales team and their current clients. That is so powerful. And, you know, in terms of authenticity in the sales uh, stage, I can speak to that. Mm -hmm. um, 
when you know when I started and I was trying to get my my business off the ground, I was trying to copy and emulate the behaviors or, or the personas of the people I was learning from, right? So I was right. being, okay, let's do this. Come on, it's gonna be great. Come on, let's do it. Right. Come on, do it now. Yeah. And of course, nobody bought. Right. Yeah. It's like taking a podcast class from John Lee Dumas and then thinking that you have to have the rapid fire everything, right? <laughs> it's so funny you you mentioned him. I actually interviewed him yesterday. Yeah, I like, love John. He's a great dude. Yeah. He, he really is. Yeah. Yeah. But he is very high end, very high paced. You know, it's like, yeah. So if John Lee Dumas is successful, if I mirror him, I should be successful too. And that doesn't Ex work. Exactly. That, that was exactly my, my mindset in the back of my head that I didn't even realize. So I did this for months and of course didn't get any results until I had a, I reached a breaking point and I said, I would rather die poor and alone mm -hmm. and in a cave than mm -hmm. spend one more day in somebody else's shoes. Hmm. That's an interesting concept. <laughs> and I stopped, I stopped, um, you know, trying to be somebody else. And, you know, I, I stepped into who I am, you know, I'm a, a lot more mellow and relaxed and, you know, centered individual. And mm -hmm. when I started doing that, people started buying. So yeah, yeah, that, it's it's super important. But like the challenge is knowing who you are at the end of the day. And right. then once you know who you are, accepting who you are. And that goes back to what we talked about with coaching, you know, doctor needs a doctor, mentor needs a mentor, coach needs a coach. You need an outside perspective to help you see what you cannot see. Yes. And so, you know, when I got done with the conferences that I was going to after I wrote the first book were all content marketing conferences. And they would teach you how to build an email list and how to do SEO and how to do all of these, you know, all of the things that you need to do. So I started creating programs online. I started, you know, the podcast, I started doing all of these different things and I would have micro successes, mm. but I never got to the point where I was. But until somebody said, every time you get an idea, you keep going down that path. You know, you always take an idea and you try to turn it into a course as mm -hmm. opposed to taking an idea and trying to turn it into a method mm -hmm. and then using that method for success and then showing the success of that method. Mm -hmm. That's the way that you get to where you need to be. And it took somebody actually to you know basically slap me all the time. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Airplane. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. But yeah, there's yeah. one Leslie scene Nelson? where. Yes, there's one person, you know, who's, who's going uh, basically freaking out. And then there's a line of people just stand there to slap them. You know, <laughs> that's what we all need. You know, we, and that that's so one true. of the things about the tribe mm -hmm. is, you know, when I create a concept now, what I do is I go to my tribe and I say, hey, I have a new concept. I want to run this by you. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Okay. And when they're talking to me, I'm taking notes. I'm using the mind mapping software and capturing what they're saying. And then I'm evolving that based on the feedback that I'm getting, as opposed to saying, I know what I know. And I'm going to yeah. tell everybody how great it is. It's way different. It's true. It's true. I'm also in this, uh, you know, in this program that um, helped me create my app. Um, you know, mm -hmm. the, the podcast is associated with uh, with the app. Sure. Um, and we're a bunch of coaches in this program. And I realized that we actually needed a bit of support for each other. So I kind of took the initiative and created this support group. A mastermind? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And it has been so valuable. I mean, it's so valuable to have a space where I can also, you know, be vulnerable and talk about the stuff that, you know, I'm self-conscious of and, mm -hmm. you know, stuff that I'm unsure of. And just like you said, just just having somebody look at you from the outside and allowing yourself to, to say, to, to verbalize. Most of the times you find solutions for yourself. And most of the times, like 50% of the times, exactly what you said people just need to slap the shit out of you otherwise right <laughs> you won't wake up right right and you do need that you you know you have to be open to it you know there's a big yeah. difference between a punch in the nose and a slap in the face slap in the face wakes you up punch in the nose basically tells you you're not liked and more often yeah. than not we get a punch in the nose when we just go out there and stick our nose out you know rather than waiting and standing back and trying to feel <laughs> you know what it is that the audience wants you know yeah yeah for sure for sure. Um, Brian, tell me a bit about the dark side of success. I mean, we over romanticize success, but every plus also has a minus, right? This Yeah. The dark tell us side about the is pitfalls. I've never gotten the Lamborghini or the mansion that I, I expected. Um, those are that's probably it's the never too late. Side. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's true. Um, no, there there really is you know, when you sit down and look at dark sides, um, I don't necessarily think there's a dark side to success. I think mm -hmm. that success is what you make of it. Mm -hmm. um, and it's all relative to what you think. Um, you know, it, it, again, it gets back to that, you know, that inner self of evaluation and, and realizing what's important. And I think the key thing, I'll, I'll tell you one thing that, you know, the dark side of success is not achieving it and being angry. You know, it's not getting what you expect and not and basically getting angry and, and, you know, trying everything you can to, you know, beat it out of the world. But I think the one thing that I've learned is um, and this is a quote from Bob Berg um, or no, excuse me, it's not Bob Berg. He's one of the people I've interviewed. Zig Ziglar said, you can have anything in life you want if you just help other people get what they want. Mm. So it gives you a servant leadership kind of way. And then you realize that if you if you continue to provide value for people they will continue to pro provide value for you. Success is, you know, we set goals and, and numbers and things that we want, um, but success is just getting up every single day and being happy mm -hmm. or being content. Yes. You know, that's, that's, it went from being, you know, a monetary value of I want the Lamborghini and the, the mansion, you know, and I want to be able to get my private jet and fly everywhere. Like, you know, um, you know, the, the four hour work week guy, I'm having a brain cramp on his name. You know, it's like he Tim flew Ferris. everywhere. Yeah. Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Tim mm -hmm. can fly everywhere on his private jet and everybody works for him and he gets everything done. You know, and the four hour work week is a complete myth. Um, there is no such thing. There is a way of, of leveraging other people, but going back to the core of what I said, what's made what the biggest success that I've had is when I finally got to the point where I said, I've got two groups that I work with. I work with my clients and I work with my vendors. Mm -hmm. My vendors are contractors. I've hired um, some of the best writers and programmers and designers. And um, I've learned how to delegate the things I'm not good at, work to your strengths, hire to your weaknesses. Mm -hmm. So the ultimate thing, the first and most important thing is making my clients successful, making them happy, right? If they're successful, they will continue to use your services, right? If they're seeing that. Now, you have to set expectations. You know, I'm mm -hmm. not going to be able to just... I have, uh, of course, I've got two buttons in front of me, this one, right? 
That was easy. Okay. That's what everybody wants, right? And then the other thing they want is this. That's a cha-ching button. So, you know, that's what everybody wants this easy button. But in reality, it takes about three months to really kind of get your arms around what's going on. So you have to set the expectations and say, you know, it's minimum three months. You're yeah. not going to be able to flip a switch. There is no easy button. It doesn't work. But if you set those expectations and you say, this is the incremental success that you will see. And if you stick with it, it'll amplify as it goes along. Um, they start to believe in what you can do. And if they keep seeing success, they will keep coming back to you. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's when they feel unvalued and when they feel like what you're doing is starting to wane off. So that's part of it, too, is you always have to be innovative with your clients. You can't get comfortable. You have to say, hey, I learned this new thing. I think this might work for you. Do you mind if we try it? Does it mean it's going to work? We don't know. But if you you know, it's like anything else, a batter, you know, a successful batter hits 300. Mm -hmm. So if you if you get three ideas that make them a million dollars and you get seven ideas that cost them, you know, five hundred thousand dollars in the long run yeah um you know you're, you're basically saying yeah you're, you're still win, actually right exactly you're way above so that's number one is making the client happy making them successful the other thing is making the vendors happy and successful mm -hmm. right you have to pay them what they're worth you have to communicate with them you have to encourage them you have to you know give them training in one way shape or form you have to let them in on the inside and make them feel like they're part of your tribe Yep. that they're not just getting paid for their work that they're actually learning things and if they continue to evolve like you're evolving and they help make the clients happier now you've got happy clients you've got happy workers and then the last person to get happy is me but i am happy when everybody is happy because then i'm you know i'm making money off of the system that i've created um i'm making happy you know i'm i'm, I'm basically that's the bright side to success is there are times where you do things and you cannot control it. Could we control the pandemic? No. You know, could we control the economy? No. But the thing is, is that if you're evolving, you can at least, you know, ad ad adapt to those changes and make the most of it. Right. And the question really is, would you want to control it? No. Because like in, in the bigger picture, like, for example, the pandemic was a huge blessing for me. Without the yep. pandemic, I would have never moved out of the big city and realized that the big city isn't isn't for me, right? Mm -hmm. And like, if if anyone looks in their past and gets that bigger picture view, um, every one of us would realize that every single negative quote unquote event that happened was always a blessing in disguise. Absolutely, yep. So if we know that, why would you ever want to? let's say, protect yourself from something bad happening if it's actually making you better or stronger right. or wiser, right? And but we ha you have to deal with all of those, you know, cognitive biases in your head, you know, and that's the hard part. Um, yeah, know. it's it's basically the stories that we kind of took on uh, unconsciously. Right. Yeah, what our parents taught us, what our childhood was like, what our friends, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be said about psychology and hence why coaching is so important. Yes, yes. Um, I had a, a conversation yesterday with um, this very, you know, um, what's what's the word? A high performer, obvious high performer. Guy had created several multi-million dollar businesses. And initially he thought that he wanted to have a conversation to have clarity in terms of what would be his next step in, in business. But really... Uh, 
and I, I knew that this was going to happen because I always like to dive deep. Um, he had lost everything due to family kind of, you know, doing stuff. I'm not going to get mm -hmm. into the details, yeah, but I know what you're saying. He lost everything. And, um, you know, that was a very heavy event for him, right? A very difficult mm -hmm. memory. And they helped him realize and, and see himself clearly and see that he actually was a much better entrepreneur than he ever was right now, thanks to that event mm -hmm. and how he's so much more impactful and how he has a lot more access to authentic happiness. And it's the kind of happiness that you um, pointed towards um, being happy and fulfilled right now, no matter what's happening around you. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I think when you do that, when you when you adapt that uh, definition for happiness, that story that this new story, this new programming, let's say um, that this is what true success is. Mm -hmm. I think financial success, monetary success comes to you a lot easily, uh, a lot easier. It does. Yeah, it's no longer, you know, and when I go back to um, and I, I don't have the list in front of me, but that evolving list of top 10 things put in a certain order, money was way higher on the list. And then it went way down on the list after a while. Um, so that was, you know, because I didn't have what I wanted, you know, I felt like I needed more money in order to be more successful. And then I realized I need more success to get more money, mm -hmm. you know, and it was one of those kind of life changing things. And, and, <laughs> it, it, you know, I have a very similar... Yeah, it's very true. And, um, you know, but I have a very similar story. I had a, ba um, a recording studio that was um, flooded out and uh, we had to basically move the business. I had to take a job in order to keep the business alive because we lost. I mean, I basically cut the space that we had down one studio. You know, it was, it was a, a big, devastating move to my business. And then eventually my clients uh, all went with my um, people that were working for me. They left. And they took all my clients and I'm stuck with this business. And I, yeah. I basically was 100% bankrupt, being sued. The government was coming after me. I mean, basically down to nothing. I was sleeping on my sister's couch. I had, uh, you know, two yeah. boxes of clothes, a couple of guitars and a car so I can go to my job and lost everything. And that was the most humbling experience you could possibly have. But it also was the most eye-opening experience because now all of a sudden everything I thought had a new set of eyes. Yeah. It's just kind of, it's, it's, even, like better than pressing reset on your yep. uh, laptop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At the time it was painful as hell and crazy. And, you know, I mean, it was tough, but yeah. you know, you, you learned that that was the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> like what changed in terms of your perspective? What shifted? What shifted was that, um, I thought I was smarter than I was. Um, mm -hmm. I wasn't as good as I really, I mean, I had this bigger picture in my mind of how successful I was. And then when I finally realized how, you know, fleeting that success was, I realized, hey, you still got to work harder. I've you know, never I done I, that. I've hit that pinnacle. You know, I thought I was there and I realized, no, that is just one step in a very long, you know, stairway. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure you're the only one who, who's ever done that for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. You feel like, you know, you feel like you're climbing up the mountain, you know, but you realize it just happens to be in a nice landing. It's a plateau, you know, and you think that you're there, but no, you real. then you, all of a sudden you look up and, you know, it's like you're looking at the plaque, go, I made it, I've made it, I made it. And then finally life hits you and you look up and then all of a sudden you see the other stairs like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what it's like.
yeah yeah and it's so cool you know when you realize that and you're like okay so i'm not the smartest person in the world that's fine right that's that's actually good news there's more to learn more adventures mm -hmm. to be had right right awesome um what is an impossible goal for you right mm. now there is none there's no impossible goal i mean you know maybe the most impossible goal is to go back to being 30 that would be hard um but other than that there really isn't you know it, it's all about you know mindset and adaption mm -hmm. right but i mean like um you had stages in your life when you really wanted something like for example when you started out you mentioned you wanted to like make a lot more money and then you realize you have to be successful first in order to make the money um but i'm sure that at the time you you said to yourself yes i can do this but deep down it, it kind of felt impossible right is there something mm -hmm. like that that you're aiming towards right now um well I, you know i don't know if it, there the problem is is when you say the word impossible i don't believe anything's impossible mm -hmm. it's just it may not match up what exactly what you want mm -hmm. you know one of the things i'm trying to do is hone my message enough to get it in front of the right people so that you know it's not as hard to get them to take action to it's basically to attract the right kind of businesses that match mm -hmm. up with what i'm doing because right now it's like i've got to tell everybody what i do and how it works and rather than right. them you know and and then hope that i attract the right person where i want it to be uh, a lot more where it's 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 easier for them to find me versus me finding them Mm -hmm, um, but mm -hmm. that's a hard thing to do because there's a lot of Vsauce bright shiny object noise and and you know so it's it's and it's not being louder it's being um, more relevant you know it goes back to that race you know it's being relevant having the authority you know the consistency and the engagement and you have to you you know like I said you I do what I do for my clients for myself first hence yeah. you know why I do a podcast two podcasts a week, a blog every single week. I've started doing LinkedIn newsletters. I do an email drip every single week. And one of the things that one of my friends told me, he says, you know, you're the most consistent person I've ever met. He says, the only thing that's changed is the messaging. Mm. And so, you know, it's, it's an, it's an evolution. In terms of, um, refining the message, you, yeah. mm -hmm. like your friend says, you're, you're being a lot more refined in your messaging. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm starting to get, you know, better, better quality, more targeted, more actionable, you know, I mean, I was finding my way and now it's, it's, you know, every, it's like the articles I'm putting out are really resonating with people. So, and I could yeah. see that in the engagement, you can actually see it, you know, hasn't led to somebody coming to me and handing me a million dollars yet, but that's okay. That's not what I expect. Well, it might, it might, it might. and how right. might not, it could. right? It let's could. Not, let's not rule that out for oh, no. sure. I'm not ruling it out in any way, shape, or form. It could happen. And it's definitely like, it, it takes a bit of, you know, it, it, it does take a level of mastery when you're trying to refine your own message because it's kind of like this painter, you, you're in the painting, but you're also trying to paint the painting. Right. So the the hardest part sometimes for us as entrepreneurs is just stepping out and really getting clarity in terms of okay what do i want and what's really and it's like because we're also creating it mm -hmm. we feel like pain that okay it's not exactly what it needs to be but i just made it you feel like you you gave birth to something that's not it right right yeah so well it's definitely perfection a 
Yeah, perfection is the enemy of done, and good is the enemy of great. And you have to be somewhere between great and done, and and perfect and good. <laughs> you know, you you've got to figure out that kind of happy space, and and that's a moving target. You know, because it depends on what your message is and who you're talking to. And you know, I'm constantly trying to revise um, how I explain things. Mm -hmm. and also understand the value that it has to the end user. The one thing I could tell you, so I'll give you a clear cut example of this, is, um, and, and one of the evolutions I've gone through in the last probably three, four years, is I was training large corporations how to use LinkedIn. And I would go and they bring me into their sales team and, and, and I would sit down and I'd say, okay, here is everything you need to know about LinkedIn. Here's why you want to use it. Here's how to create your perfect profile. Here's who to connect with and why. And then here's how to ha create content and deliver it to the right audience so they get the, the relevance that you need. You know, the difference between trying to find leads and building that tribe that I talked about. And I walk into a corporation, I would do that, and you get two camps. I'm, I'm simplifying it, but mm -hmm. Camp A is, you know, the, the millennials, young guns who would go, oh, this is cool. I didn't know that, man. I'm going to try it. That's really awesome. Check that out, man. I can automate this. You know, let me go on my phone. You know, they were totally into it, and two weeks later, completely forgot everything. The other camp was the 40-year-old and up and go, oh, that's really neat. That's really cool. I don't get it. I'm going to go back and email and phone call people. You know, it's like, and then the problem was, is that neither one of those two camps ever evolved and did anything because there was not this culture change inside of the business. Mm -hmm. And the business didn't have the infrastructure and didn't have the understanding of it either. They wanted me to basically come up and hit the easy button and get their people to sell more. But the problem is, is that most salespeople, the vast majority of salespeople would much rather be gatherers than hunters. They're, mm -hmm. you know, hunters are your A team, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. You know, they're the people out there that would go, you know, they chase people down, they find them, they, yep. you know, they do everything they can. The, the gatherers are the people that basically nurture the relationships, right? And that's what I, that's what I teach. So what I found in the evolution was, is the only way I could be successful is if I teach them this, but then I go in and actually put the content up for them and give and stay you know, keep them uh, accountable for what they're doing. The beauty of that is, is they don't have to do anything. Mm -hmm. The stuff is automatically posted their account. Their tribe sees it and then responds back to them. They'll, they'll engage with it. They'll contact them directly. You know, you may put up something for a roll of toilet paper, but they figure out, you know what, what I really need is paper towels and this guy sells paper towels. So I'm going to go buy the paper towels from him. So, you know, it, it's a matter of creating awareness, relevancy, all the things I was talking about. So the, the evolution was, was learning that in order for me to be successful, I had to be able to get into a company that would give you enough control, not mm -hmm. over control. You know, we're not mm -hmm. going in there and trying to create a new persona for these people. We're just putting content up that makes them relevant to their audience without affecting their day-to-day -day lives, you know? Yeah, 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 for sure. It's important. And I see that as well in my coaching, you know, sometimes people say they, they want a transformation, but sometimes the programming is just too strong. And in some situations, just just cracking the door open a bit, that's that's also a huge success. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, more stuff can can come in and eventually, you know, the stuff that doesn't uh, serve them can go out. Right. Right. Awesome. Um, I'm sure you're going to figure this out. I'm sure you're making tons of progress in, in, you know, optimizing your, your messaging, you're a marketer, right. But as mm -hmm. always, sometimes taking our own medicine is the, the most difficult aspect, right? Yep. Um, 
Brian, thank you so much for, for taking the time. And it was really, really nice to connect with you and get to know you and uh, get to know your story. Ditto. And I appreciate the opportunity to, to speak to you in the audience. And, um, you know, it's, it's always fun. And the one thing I could say about being a guest on podcasts is it helps you to um, solidify your own message. And yes. that's one of the reasons why I like being a guest and an interviewer at the same time. So I look forward to having you on mine as well. Oh, thank you so much for for the opportunity. I'd love to. Awesome. Um, I also had some powerful insights from from this conversation. And to be honest, I, what I was thinking when you were sharing, how can I have a better relationship with the people that I've already built, you know, know, like, and trust and the people who already invested with me? So that's mm -hmm. kind of like my knobs were turning while, while um, you you were talking. Yeah. I can give you I can give you one last tip and it's what I call the tribe 10 10 10. Beautiful. All right. And and what it is is you basically every single day you spend 10 minutes connecting with 10 people with 10 words. The 10 minutes are 1 minute per person. Mm -hmm. You can respond to them later, but it's your action that that starts the ball rolling. This 1 minute per person, 10 people, and what you say to them is how can I help you today mm -hmm. and how are you doing? And usually you could do it in the opposite way. So how are you doing? How can I help you today? Mm -hmm. If you connect up with 10 people per day, all right, that gives you, if you did it just in business days, that would be over 200 people per month. Mm -hmm. And like I say, the average person has 1,500 or 150 people, right, in their tribe. Right. So if you can identify those 150 people that are in your tribe, they're either the client, the service provider, the advisor, the family, the friend, you know, whoever you met, it could be people on your podcast, whatever it is. If you re reach out to them once a month, 12 times a year and just say, how are you doing? How can I help you? Some will respond. But what you're doing is you're keeping yourself top of mind. You're also pre-programming okay. them that you're there to help and and that you care about them and by doing that then you've created this relevance engine called relationship marketing that works important are we discussing leads or prospects right now well you're talking about everything but not leads mm -hmm. leads leads are cold calls mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. okay these are people that are in your know like and trust funnel beautiful no i know you exist like mm -hmm. I, I not only i've added you to my crm and I'm, we've had a conversation and you're a coach i'm a coach we have something in common or you play guitar i play guitar whatever it is yeah, yeah, yeah. um trust is i'm willing to recommend you to somebody or i've done business with you or you're willing to recommend me and do something there so if you they're in that no like and trust funnel they can be anywhere in there but at least in the like portion yeah, you know, you know, do you true tribe is somebody that you trust with you and your business and your life. I already have this list of people who have expressed interest in my app that I could start doing this with. So yep. Thank you yep. so much. This, You're this welcome. is actually super valuable. Excellent. That's the whole point. I delivered value. <laughs> awesome. Um, Brian, where can people, aside from the podcast, right? Check out the Bacon mm -hmm. Podcast. Um, yep. Check out Brian's book. Um, it's not about you. It's about bacon, right? mm -hmm. obviously. Uh, where else can people or should people get in touch with you? The easiest way to do it is go to Linktree. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E -E forward slash bacon guy. 
And if they go to that, they will get a list of everything that I have, my books, my podcasts, my Facebook, LinkedIn, everything that they need. They can connect with me where they want to connect. Beautiful. Beautiful. Awesome. Guys, thank you for tuning in and uh, absolutely check out Brian's podcast and I will see you soon. This was fun, right? Thank you so much for tuning in and absolutely give us a review, a rating, wherever you listen to your podcast, whatever service you use to get your podcasts. Tell us what you think. Give us a rating. It's going to help us tremendously. And if you are an entrepreneur looking to boost sales, improve your marketing, but also build a business of true freedom and true success without overwhelm, without overwork, absolutely check out my app, my mobile app. It's called the Power Become Happy and Wealthy app, and you can find it on the App Store and on Google Play. Thank you so much, and I will see you soon.